Hello everyone and thank you for joining us for another HipCast episode featuring conversations with the many fascinating people who work within and adjacent to the world of silent film. Our 2024 festival programme launched last week and all the screenings and events are now live, bookable and detailed online for all to see. Here at Team HipFest we are very excited. Not least because we're finally able to talk openly about the many treats in store, including our opening night event on Wednesday the 20th of March, The Rugged Island, A Shetland Lyric, directed by Jenny Gilbertson, nay, Jenny Brown. Hipfest is proud to present this extraordinary film with the world premiere of our new music commission created by award-winning multi-instrumentalist and composer from Fair Isle, Inga Thompson collaborating with another Shetland-born musician, Katrina MacDonald, who is considered to be one of the world's leading traditional fiddle players. In today's episode, we hear from these two gifted musicians as they muse on the process of their collaboration, describe their reaction to seeing 1930s Shetland on screen, tantalise us with what we can expect to hear on the night, and speak about their shared admiration and respect for Jenny Gilbertson's work. We're very proud of the prospect of premiering this new work, which has been funded by Creative Scotland's National Lottery Open Fund for Organisations. And we are especially thrilled that we have secured the means to live stream the presentation to audiences around the world. Now, this means that if you're tuning in to this podcast from Newcastle or Nairobi, you too can secure a ticket to immerse yourself in the sights and sounds of Shetland. Just make sure you book by 3.30pm, that's UTC Coordinated Universal Time, on Wednesday the 20th of March, and view within 48 hours of the curtain going up at 7.30pm. Now, let's hear from our special guests, Inga and Katrina. Happy listening. Hello, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, For all the listeners who can't see the Zoom call that we're currently in, I'm delighted to be joined this morning by Inga Thompson and Katrina MacDonald, who, as you will have recently seen in our programme launch, are coming together to perform for us for our opening night at HitFest 2024. And we are super excited about that screening and that uh, performance. So I'm I'm really excited to have you both also uh, joining me for HipCast this month. So thank you so much for coming by. I think probably the the best way to start is if you wouldn't mind please introducing yourself to our listeners at home. So Inga, would you like to start? Yeah, thanks very much for um, having us, Christina. Um, my name's Inga Thompson and I come from the wee island of Fair Isle in Shetland. Um, I'm a, a musician, composer, producer type thing now. Um, it's a very interesting proposal um, when I was asked initially about writing this music, because it's obviously something that's very close close to me and my culture and upbringing. Um, Katrina, over to you. Yeah, so I'm Katrina MacDonald, and I'm also from Shetland originally. I live in the Scottish borders at the minute. I'm a Shetland fiddle player, so I'm a traditional musician and composer and scholar. I work down at Newcastle University and run the folk and traditional music course that we have down there. So up to my Yorksters and all things cultural and traditional as regards Shetland. 
Ah, oh, amazing. Thank you so much. I didn't realize that you were both from Shetland, so that is incredible. <laughs> I've, I feel so daft. I probably should have um, seen that in, in a note somewhere, but that's incredible. Oh, that, yeah, that's great. So I guess we should say a little bit about the commission that's coming up. Uh, so you'll be performing live um, alongside our screening of The Rugged Island. And yeah, I guess we're so excited to hear to hear your music. And I was wondering, is this the first time that you'd seen the film or had you heard of the film previously? Were you, you know, already fans of the film? And yeah, just tell me a little bit about, about your knowledge of it, really. Well, for me, I had never seen the film before, and I, I have to confess that my knowledge of Jenny Gilbertson was pretty scant. Um, I actually only really found out about her a couple of years ago when I was researching for um, a project that was uh, with a North American, well, Native Canadian artist. Um, and when I happened to be looking at links between Scotland and uh, North America at at that kind of time, that kind of period, I came across Jenny then and was quite stunned that I didn't really know. I'd heard her name before, but I didn't really know anything about her beyond that. Um, so that I guess that was when I first heard about her, but I, I hadn't really extensively looked at her work or checked out her um, her history and uh, just her quite a fascinating journey for for a start, for a female filmographer at that time, but also to go up to somewhere like Shetland and be uh, like be really hands on and across all the way across the spectrum when it comes to all the technical side of things, because in Shetland back then, the, anything that involved operating sort of technical gear and that kind of material, it all fell to the men. It was never even thought of that a woman would be able to turn a, a recording device on let alone how, know how to edit and stuff like this so uh yeah it was quite a, a revelation yeah I'd never actually come across this specific film but I feel as though Jenny Gilbertson has been part of my life since I was a really young lass quite the opposite maybe from you Inga um and maybe we'll come on to that but uh, as regards the film, I mean, I just find it really fascinating. You know, um, Jenny's type of film, she was originally Jenny Brown. She married a Shetlander, actually our leading man in this film, which is so exciting. But, you know, Jenny basically was somebody who came from Glasgow. Uh, she holidayed with her parents when she was a youngster and fell in love with Shetland and eventually fell in love with Shetlander. So it's a beautiful, romantic kind of story in some ways. But... Maybe, you know, she came to Shetland and I love her style of filmmaking. There's a kind of an ethical uh, process in her filming, which is kind of like ethnography. So she kind of became part of the community and through that, you know, this film emerges. So it's not like a person from outside coming in. And we know that Inga's Shetlanders. It's quite easy to make Shetland very romantic and, and kind of not real. I think Jenny went the extra mile and it obviously seemed to be a natural thing. I don't think it was, you know, invented or or she was trying to do that. She just was way before her time in the way that she managed to create this bit of social history and a damned good bit of storytelling, I would say, <laughs> as well, which as creatives, we, we really, really want. So it's just lovely seeing it. Have you seen a lot of silent films? Um, kind of just gen more generally, just out of interest, because it's it's often something when I ask about, about particular titles, 
that people have watched to accompany but I was just wondering do you watch a lot or any silent films generally kind of for pleasure or is this was this a new experience in that way I would say for me um I when I was younger we watched the the silent um comedy films like Buster Keaton and Harold Lloyd and you know that they were very much a part of of my childhood growing up in Fair Isle but I didn't really watch a great deal until I was um until more recently and actually I've been brought into it again because of friends of mine or colleagues that were doing this exact job um so actually maybe worth mentioning is Drifters that Jason Singh who's an, another collaborator of mine mate and that's John Grierson is that his name um but I found that fascinating because it's obviously very uh it's like quite old footage but it doesn't feel like it's dated at all um just because of the nature of it it feels like almost like it's a sci-fi or something not actually footage of people at sea so yeah apart from that only like one or two others the um the Nosferatu that that our friend Graham Stephen also scored, that that again has got some magic to it, hasn't it? Just just it's, again, it doesn't feel really like it's dated. It feels like it's a uh, an art form that that won't date because of the nature of it. But um, that's about the extent of my my knowledge, really. And I would be similar to you, Inga, that I I might. Harold Lloyd, what a fantastic uh, footage that was and things like that. But I think as a musician, the kind of potential to add contemporary voices into this medium is amazing, you know, and um, I find that really fascinating, that there's a missing part. You know, as a musician, I've only realised in recent times working with filmmakers myself, uh, with my own compositions and things, is how, you know, it's a different immediacy using image and using music you know and much as the musicians we'd love to think it had as big an impact visual impact is massive you know and for musicians to kind of work and have an interplay I think between images and your own performance or recorded score I mean it's it's really fab and I love the fact that because of the silent film you know the filmmaker is not there to direct you on what you can put there you know you could change this film you know because it could subvert some of that romanticism or you could really go into it and things like that and I'm so really looking forward to seeing what Inga's going to come up with this because she's just amazing uh, and to be a part of it is just really exciting. That's very flattering um, <laughs> I would quite like to add on that that one of the things that I've again have no experience with is reacting quite so uh, um, uh, what's the word immersively with with something that's visual. So there's only so much writing that we can do until we're actually sitting down there in front of the film because we have to obviously react to the film but also to each other. So um, that that to me is a very very exciting challenge and one that I haven't I, I I've never experienced yet. So. Yeah, And just that idea that it would always change unless you record the film again with the performers. You know, this can have so many different interpretations. And I wonder how much silent film uh, filmmakers realise that, because that's quite a lot of giving quite a lot of control to somebody else. 
I mean, they must have, you know, I, I've often wondered about that. You know, somebody could really ruin your film, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and there, I know there is a there is a musical version of this film, isn't there? There's, there is a non-silent version that was made in her lifetime. I haven't yet listened to it. I don't know if you have, Finga. No, I haven't. I was um, sent a link to it, but I, I've chosen to not listen to it until yeah. afterwards because I don't feel like I want to be influenced. Yeah. Um, but that's a really pertinent thing that you've just said there about depending on how the person is reacting can really change the the mood and the dynamic of the film. Um, I've been working with a mentor, Stephen Horn, who's a silent, that's his profession, is a silent film accompaniment. And very often he's he has uh, like 30 years of working for the BFI, the British Film Institute uh, under his belt. And many times he would just rock up not having any more um, information about the film he was about to to live score, apart from what he'd read in the flyer or what happened to be in the, the programme. And that, to me, seems absolutely like, talk about flying by the seat of your pants. That just seems <laughs> absolutely terrifying. Um, so thankfully, I've got a little bit of a cushion in in that I've got this this time to really think about the, the film, but many people don't have any time at all to think about what they're about to be accompanying. There's, there's so much skill in, in, in preparing as well. It's a, it's a very, as you say, a complex thing that involves a lot of different stimuli, especially when, when it is more than one person working together. I think it's interesting that you said about how the silent films that you've seen feel so remarkably contemporary and not you know 100 years old and I think that's the thing is is a lot of that can be from the film text itself but also that's what's so magical about having the live music alongside these films is that it makes it absolutely bang up to date cutting edge because as soon as you put a live musician you know, in 2024 <laughs> alongside uh, a film from from whenever it was made, it makes a completely new text, you know? And that is what is so, what we're consistently telling people about Hipfest is, is that, yes, it is old films, but it's new, it's completely live performances. Um, so it is that, is a, a, a total gift, as you say, of being able to add that extra section of, of of the experience um and consistently refresh that throughout time so um yeah sorry slight ramble there but, <laughs> but um, thank you so much for your for your thoughts no it's... that was a great ramble <laughs> um i was also wondering as shetlanders i know that you've both said uh that that jenny gilbertson didn't just jetpack in and kind of uh portray very um stereotypically you know romantically but do you think that the film even just visually is it authentic the way that Shetland's portrayed do you think or I mean obviously it is a silent film and it's a story and it's fiction but you know how do you how did you feel looking at that time period yeah I thought it was very authentic um and one of the things that I did at the very beginning like the very start of my research process was go onto uh, Google Maps and um, you know when you look at Street View and then you go just go and drive yourself along the road to find out just what this area is looking like today um, and I went all around to Hillswick and up at Asianist and all of these these places 
haven't really changed a great deal. I mean, the houses are are different houses. They're more modern, but there's not all that many more than there were at the time. Um, and some of the areas, like the steadings, are on exactly the same places as they've always been. Some have obviously moved. Um, but I thought that that's not only is it that accurate for the time, but it, it's still really, really similar to that now. But in terms of the the land work, the practices haven't changed a great deal either. Dell and peat is the same. People still Dell peat with a tushka. Um, and the other other land work, the dif- difference is we've got tractors. We're not we're not hitching up a, a Shetland pony anymore. But apart from that, it's pretty much the same um, land work because the land hasn't changed that much. Yeah. Um, so I found that that pretty authentic. Um, and also the insides of the houses and things like that were were really accurate to the time. I thought that was really interesting. I was actually looking at this period where it's, you know, where the film comes from, kind of early 1900s and the kind of 30s. It's really interesting because that point in Shetland, if you go back into kind of uh, archiving images and things like that, it's actually a time that is, you know, it's moving on in Shetland. This is a real kind of uh, period of change, I think, in Shetland. I mean, it's lovely in the film to see, you know, not only those really old practices going on um, on the farmland, but then you go inside and then there's a radio or there's suddenly this or the kind of idea of mail and letters letter writing and everything that's part of this the fact that there is a filmmaker there that's using technology and things like that it's it's there's a lot of uh, juxtaposition in it it's it's not still victorian film images which a lot of that is confection you know uh, there are a lot of the tropes i would say in this film i mean jenny plays them whether they're kind of real or invented we do go around the you know the dell and the peats the you know the women the things they would do in the house these are kind of tropes the women on the hill with the kishi and the knitting and all those kind of things i mean those were of course all things that shitlanders do but it's a kind of a a concentrated would you say that inga view of it all so there is a pretty bit of as we would say in shitland a pretty bit of um just hitting all those things that maybe to an outside audience they would have known about Shetland or they would require, do you know what I mean? But, I mean, I think it is. It's it's Shetland in that period of change, you know, before the Second World War, where there was the old ways of life were there, but, I mean, there was still this new vanguard of technology. Uh, You can see elements, and I think that's that's really fascinating. Yeah, definitely, that you could see those elements of new things coming in, like, for instance... The boats having motors and those things that are that are different, but you're you're right. The concentration of of all of these little elements that make up our culture they they, they were kind of all shoved shoved into play. Uh, but actually, that's that's not necessarily a bad thing at no, all. It, there's, at all. it doesn't have a wildly dramatic arc, which I think is also really. I'm glad that 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 she didn't do something like that, which would have been like watching Shetland, the drama, which there seems to be murders every other week, which, as we know, Katrina, there's not that many murders. Not that many murders. But again, good storytelling, you know, this is, the, this is the thing. And I don't think Jenny Gilbertson was trying to make a kind of a historical documentary. You know, these are the kind of areas, I think, certainly within scholarly work, there's lots of issues, especially around women's making and creating. It's quite easy to kind of cancel people because... 
you know, oh, it was all romantic or, you know, blah, blah, blah. I think it's important that we don't go down those routes. Of course, Jenny would have been trying to sell this. You know, she was a filmmaker who wanted her work to be out there. Um, but she's not only a filmmaker, she's not making historical or social documentary, although it actually is quite a brilliant, there are aspects of it that are there, but she is also a filmmaker, a storyteller. And I mean, that was one of the things when I was looking at this film, I mean, she wrote, directed, filmed and edited the whole thing. I mean, that's no mean feat, you know, when you're doing about filmmaking nowadays. So um, it's important to know that it is curated, it is creative. It's not a historical documentary. And I love that. And the fact that there's this romantic story with her husband in it, in the middle of it, there's a part of me that just... I, I totally buy into that. When you know the, the the actual story is, is that she's obviously about to fall in love with this man herself. You know, I kind of look at Enga, the, the leading lady in it, and I'm like, no, Jenny, you should have been there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you felt like that, Inga, would it? Well, one of the things that I really felt was the astounding um, fact that all of the actors in there are just like the family of of uh, Jenny's husband, who like, mm. stars in it. But none of them had acting experience apart from Enga, who plays the lead female um, part. So that that in itself is kind of amazing. There's no accidentally looking at the camera. There's no like really weirdly wooden, un uncomfortable scenes. Mm -hmm. um, they're, all, they're all really well acted by crofters and fishermen. And that's an amazing thing to be able to direct at the time again being a woman and and having to take taking the the role of being in charge of all of that um yeah it's it's remarkable really and that's maybe why it does have a little bit of that kind of crossover between social documentary you know we see a lot of those silent films the kind of uh five minutes people on the croft maybe you know digging peats it, it has elements of that in it um, but you just feel maybe because they are real people that are in it, that it's that fact that it's not acted just gives it an authenticity that is so fascinating. I mean, I was going right to the small details of what is on that table they've got there. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Wanting to, to stop and pause and, and really see the small details of it. It's testament to what a good filmographer that Jenny was. So, so yeah. Oh, yeah. I really hope people will come out and see this because it's oh. just beautiful. When you think about the fact that at this point in cinema, all of the tools of filmmaking were very new. And so the and audiences as well were still very new to seeing story films, you know. So all of those kind of visual indicators and, and those kind of representations of Shetland, film was still an evolving language and, and audiences were still evolving receivers. <laughs> so it's it that all of that kind of stuff. Now, when we go to cinema and watch film, if we know what it's about, we're kind of we're so much further ahead in how much we we trust the film, if you know what I mean, than early audiences were. So all of that was still super important in order to set the scene and, and let people know what they were watching. Um if that makes any sense. But I I'm keen to to chat about the music and and about you guys as I know that we could talk about the film all day, but before we do, I I need to bring up that Katrina, you met Jenny Gilbertson when when you were younger. Please uh, let us know about oh, that briefly. <laughs> well, it's interesting talking about kind of about early technology. Um, when I was basically very young, I started playing Shetland trad fiddle music when I was eleven years old, ten, eleven years old, 
And I was taught by, at that time, one of the big kind of fiddle players, um, Tom Anderson. And he was at that point uh, kind of post-career into his teaching in schools. And I was very lucky to have got weekly lessons for him. But as well as being a fiddle teacher, he himself, from a sonic point of view, had been totally into early technology. He had been building valve sets, radios. If he'd been in the age of computer now, he would have, oh my God, the world would would have been his world. He would have just loved the internet and everything like that. But in this kind of early technology, I was also kind of uh, understanding about the importance of that within musical terms. But when I was 13 or 14, the early 1980s, Tammy, I would call Tom Anderson, took me to go and meet Jenny Gilbertson in the Islesborough Community Centre. So at that point in time, she was, I, what I remember about her was she was showing a review of her uh, films that she made with Inuit communities, which was a latter piece of work that she did. Um, but she was this diminutive, at this point, peery old wife. She obviously had grown very, very long hair that had gone completely white and she wore it up in a bun, like almost like an Edwardian bun. And she was out there, out front, talking about her films, but not in a showy, dramatic performance kind of way, in more of a... It was just really intimate. It was just fantastic. And I was there sitting alongside Tom Anderson, who obviously had huge respect for Jenny. Um, but through that interest in technology, you know, she was exactly his kind of uh, partner in crime there, but from a visual kind of point of view. So that was really, I mean, I, I suppose with hindsight, I see how important that is now, because one of my things that I'm doing at the minute is PhD on elevating cultural women. Um, from the mid 20th century kind of backwards and you know Jenny kind of comes in that space but obviously she married into being a Shetland uh, and stayed in Shetland for the latter part of her life I just at that period in time she seemed a little bit like Tom Anderson herself in her 80s and at a latter point in life people came to understand and respect a little bit more about what she'd actually achieved I think she did it quite quietly and she was just into the work I think and it was lovely to see both her and Tammy eventually get these moments where civically people were saying, come and do a big lecture at the community centre in Lerwick. Do you know what I mean? And have your moment. And everybody who was interested in her work were there. And I was there in the front row with Tammy, just uh, absolutely hanging on every word of this amazing woman. You know, I didn't have those role models at that point in time. All the, the, fem the players I knew were, were male. Um, apart from a few piano players, etc. So it was hugely inspiring, you know, but as I say, not in a showy way, in a really kind of uh, interested in her work and so active and vivacious, really, in the latter part of her life. Because I think she died in 1990. So, yeah, she's uh, she had a really great existence, I think. Oh, thank you so much for that. Um... I, oh, I really felt like I was there as well, like hanging on to the, to the words. But I know exactly what you mean with, with that kind of quiet, focused, confident, you know, when people really know what they're talking about and, and are just so passionate about the work, but quietly, it's such a powerful thing. Um, thank you for sharing. <laughs> so I guess it's time that we should talk about the music and the composition and what audiences can expect to kind of hear and be and be delighted by in March. So 
yeah uh, that, well that's the that's that's the question uh what what kind of sound it doesn't have to be you know you don't have to sing any any tunes but what what kind of sound uh should audiences expect uh alongside the rugged island well i would say they're they're to expect some pretty traditional sounds i mean part of my my reasoning for for bringing katrina in is because she is a traditional shetland fiddle player and very very skilled and also very great lyrical player and she can also as you can as you can tell she could tell a story but she can also really tell a story with her instrument so it's important for me to bring Shetlandy sounds into the score in terms of the actual material I have written several short themes like just to match uh, the people so the, there's a few of the characters have got their own themes and um, they recur sometimes or they are sometimes will recur again in a slightly different tempo or a slightly different uh, chord sequence. Um, I don't really want to give away a massive amount because there's also, there has to be room for reacting there on the night, reacting to the mood. And although as musicians, we when we play live, we also play to the audience. So this is going to be interesting given that you know, part of the thing that feeds us is we we finish a set of tunes and we get clapped at, which is uh, always the great feeling. Or we don't get clapped at, but we mostly get clapped at. <laughs> um, but we won't be able to really judge the the enjoyment of the film and the score until afterwards. We might be able to pick up some of the atmosphere, but not a great deal to react to the to the audience there. So yeah, that will be an interesting challenge. But I guess leaving enough open enough space that we can also react to the moment to the film um so yes so i'd say instru instrumentation wise it's mostly accordion and fiddle and i will have i'm i'm bringing a bit of te like t the technological hardware aspect of it will be only to trigger samples environmental sounds and yeah, things like the birds and the wind and the waves and all these things that are, are very important. It's actually worth saying, one of these things that I felt really came across in this piece of work is the environment. Um, Jenny has really made it feel like it's a character in the film as well, because there's nothing taken for granted. She's she's uh, shown all these different times of year, like spring environments, summer environments, autumn uh, and I, I feel like she's really kind of bringing the environment and the nature into the film as as a character itself. Um, so there will be environmental sounds interwoven into it. Um, I don't really know what else I can tell you. It sounds super rich, uh, like texturally, like there's so much there to just... Um... Oh, I'm so excited. Um, but I wanted to pick up on what you were saying about the audience and the reaction with the audience, because I think it is a really interesting part of accompanying a film. And I guess I guess I should say, just to, to double check, have either of you played alongside a film before or was this the first time? Well, I have played with with visuals, but not in a sense of scoring to the visuals. So no, nothing like this, nothing on the scale of this. 
And I just wrote actually a film myself this uh, past summer that I performed with live against images uh, at the Anlantad in Starnaway, a piece called Wave Walking. So I've just had that experience, but it was very much a conversation because I'd been working with a filmmaker. So it was, you know, I'd already been part of the creative thing. I obviously played against it and everything. This is going to be a little different because. It feels like, I don't know about you, Inga, but it feels like a bit more of even a responsibility because it's not like you can have that conversation with Jenny. Do you know what I mean? To say, how do you think about this? Or, you know, but yeah. I, I just think he having been in a room with her for a couple of hours. I think she would just be like, go for it. It'd be really interesting. I'm so fascinated. I mean, that idea of improvisation, scary as it is, Inga, that I'm sure be a lot about what this is going to be as a performance, you know, is being triggered by your fabulous uh, tunes and, and all the things that you're going to do. But there will still be that aspect of, you know, just being two musicians in there trying to fill the space and, and react into the, the images that we see. I have so much admiration for for the, the musicians that accompany all of our films. I mean, and generally for musicians, I'm not in any way musical myself, uh, sadly, but uh, it's, you know, in, in a gig, you, the musicians will have, you know, banter with the audience between songs and breaks and, and get a sense of how it's going. But as you say, with, with this, it it may feel daunting because you don't you don't necessarily have those pauses, but you definitely I think will feel how the audience is feeling um, throughout. And we we had an online conversation with the Dodge Brothers um, the year before last, I think it was about their kind of process. They're a skiffle um, blues band, and um, they were saying that the main thing that they f feed off as well as the film text is the response from the live audience and the, the audible kind of you know gasps and and laughter and stuff that they can hear there does seem to be a real kind of reciprocal um exchange with the audience so that is exciting um but also just a part of my admiration is always also because you're playing solidly for so long <laughs> you know normally the gig yeah, you do have breaks between between songs but Sorry, not to make it sound daunting, but it's just I, I have so much respect and, yes, such a skill thing. I, I don't know, Inga, what you feel like about that, about um, when we play as musicians to an audience. I mean, having these visuals is, gives that added impact around how we manipulate emotion in these situations. I mean, as traditional musicians, I think we have that in shed loads, whether you can actually verbalize it and analyze it. But that is such a big part of traditional music is that idea of being able to make people dance, make people feel happy, make people cry, make people feel sad. You know, it's so part of kind of lived community, rural life, you know, and it's a really authentic part still even today in Shetland. Everybody's got an opinion on tunes and music in Shetland, even if they're not Absolutely musicians, which is one of the lovely <laughs> things, you know. So that would be one of the things that I would be really interested to see what happens is how far you can go or whether we have to restrain it to let the images take those moments, you know. It's going to be interesting because you could over-egg this whole thing. Yeah, it sure is. And I, I, I think we have got... 
earlier on you mentioned responsibility and I mm -hmm. think we also have responsibility to to not break the bubble too much for people um, so that it's not always pulling attention away from the film. I, I guess being subtle when when subtlety is is necessary and being more bolshy when being bolshy is Can't we, Inga, Yeah, it's very exciting. <laughs> it's gonna be so much fun. I wondered, Inga, if you I wondered yeah, a, a lot of our other musicians have completely different approaches. And I think that's what's what's quite interesting as a non-musical person to to hear about. So I wondered if there was anything else, like if there's anything else that you wanted to say about your strategy there with the themes and maybe how you came up with particular sounds for particular characters. Yeah, well, I, I would without giving away too many spoilers from the film, but I I kind of looked at the movement of the characters in the in different settings. So like um at the the first scene that shows Enge in her house with her family has got a slightly more it's not hectic, it's a slightly more kind of languid feel. So the theme that I've written for Enge there is just a little bit more laid back. And then the the other the scene in Johnny's house with Johnny's family, it's just got a little bit more movement. It's like they're all a little bit more wiry and um so I've just tried to take a little bit of that and into the the melodic composition. I guess I've done that with all all of the separate themes. Um, actually, it's worth mentioning just now because I have pulled in the traditional tune, the Unst Bridal March, which will oh, should I say because this is maybe a wee bit overly spoily. Okay, I'm not going to say where. But I I thought. It would be good to have something that is uh, recognisable to because oh, every Shetland, every Shetlander knows this tune and it's associated with love. It's associated with commitment, and um, it's also just such a beautiful tune that's not it's not played to a strict measure. You know, it's got that elasticity, and I mean, traditionally it was played uh, on the hoof by the fiddle player, ride to march to, march to, to walk to. Um, so you'd be going over brogs and round corners and up and down. So Hence the tempo can kind of slightly speed up and slow down and it and it feels, yeah, it has that elastic quality to it. So that is one of the the two pieces of traditional music that are included in the piece. But it's definitely worth a mention just in the the beauty of that tune itself. No, that's perfect. Thank you. And don't I don't worry, I don't think it's it's too spoiler. It's quite nice to have something for those that do know that tune to go into looking or listening listening for it um and it kind of it answers a question I was going to ask which is do you think without watching the film do you think anyone listening to this would just would know it was a Shetland story and it sounds like yeah the answer is yes yeah <laughs> uh, absolutely yeah there's not really many like there's very little in terms of sort of manipulation using technology um I, I just didn't want anything to feel you know really anachronistic or or whatever I mean I am playing an accordion which although they were in Shetland in the 1930s but they weren't yeah. very they weren't very common were they they were like just well, like I know they were on the rise Tammy was you know he was starting up his dance band uh you know the school Scottish dance band scene it became a big thing you know the radio earlier radio was punting all those those accordions the Shetlanders and they, yes. they certainly took there's no way back. Yeah. But the fiddle would be the kind of signifier, I think, there. I mean, fiddle is, yeah. It's yeah. The, the biggest instrument has been historically. 
yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, so yes, I think anybody <laughs> listening to the score, uh, independent of the film, would know it was a, a Shetland film. So, oh, amazing! Thank you so much. We're our time is dwindling, but I have just two more questions to ask you quickly before we have to um part, and it's about the collaborative element between the both of you. Um, so the first question i guess is have as musicians have you guys collaborated before is this is this a kind of a, a synergy that has been around for a long time or is this a new kind of relationship we do have a history yes, yes. <laughs> <Long> history. <laughs> um yeah although i would say probably i've played more with katrina over the last two or three years than i have over all of the years that i've known katrina which is a lot now because we're both getting on, aren't we? <laughs> surely um, no, English, surely no. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I've known about Katrina since I was at school and uh, I've always been a massive fan and aspired to be, still still aspiring to be more like Katrina in, oh, in life. Um, oh my God, Yeah, shut up. Um, so we're uh, yeah we've been playing in another outfit which has some Norwegian players and um, it's a sort of actually I'll let you talk about it could you not yeah so a um, couple of years ago a friend of mine uh, Ambjörg Leon who's a hardanger fiddle player in Norway uh, we decided we wanted to kind of do some more work together and uh, we both, when we were looking around for the first person to ask to be in the band, we both kind of came to Inga's name was right up there. And um, and then I did a gig uh, a couple of years ago, a Shetland gig in the Royal Concert Hall in Glasgow. And I heard Inga going and doing some of her solo stuff because I hadn't really seen it live. And I was just so blown away. I mean, Inga right back to you in just admiration and just the fact that you know you you've carved out this amazing creative space just with the way that you use your instrument the way you think compositionally you know whole idea of the Shetland the Shetland sounds and but just taking it to a new contemporary level and and it's just been lovely and that project I think we've all got on really well um, and hope to do some more stuff with that. So, but this is lovely that we've kind of gone from quite a big band that we've ended up with in that other project to come right back down to just me, me and you, Inga. It's I'm really looking forward to that. I think it's kind of going back to basics that we should have probably done about twenty years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Although that, that said, I think it's possibly a much better time for us to be collaborating yeah. now because I yeah. think I would have been a little bit too daunted and starstruck back then. <laughs> Um, but really, yeah, I don't know. I've, I kind of found over the, the, the course of the last few years of work, not just playing music together on stage, but off stage, we we do have a pretty close relationship. Um, and also, I just feel like I can totally trust you. I don't feel in any way um, self-conscious about what what my output is. And that that is really important for, for creating something new when you're working with somebody somebody that you know is going to be uh, accepting and sympathetic and and everything so I'm, I'm yeah that's one of the the reasons that I, I decided to bring you on board here well that's really nice and, and actually for me Inga it's really important that 
um, you know, this is a, a real luxury to actually work as part of somebody else's creative vision. I mean, I know that we will obviously play together and it'll be an equal feel in the, in the room on the night because we're both there performing. But part of my kind of uh, interest in being part of this is actually to to go out of the director role into, you know, being the player and just trying to understand your your thoughts, your creative thoughts. And that is a new kind of a new place. You know, I don't go to that place very often and I'm really looking forward to that that challenge. This is brilliant. I'm really, really appreciating appreciating everything that you're saying. Um, this must be sounding like such a sickening love fest. Oh, I know. It's, it's so nice. <laughs> this is so lovely to hear. Um, yeah, it's yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. Genuinely, it's I yeah. I guess we've got a couple like one minute left for the last very quick uh, fire round question of. Lastly, what are you most looking forward to about the project? And it might be working together, as you've just been saying, because that was that was lovely. Yeah, I think actually just I, I'm really looking forward to the the first actual technical run through. So I'm really looking forward just to seeing uh, how it all comes together and how it works. And there's there's something about having the last rehearsal. I don't know if you feel this way, Katrina, but when you have the last the last thing before you go on stage to do anything, it's those very minute wee tweak, tweaks that you do at the very, very end. Um, so I'm looking forward to doing the technical rehearsal and just being like, this, these things all work. Maybe this happens a little bit later, maybe this. So it's almost like the last bits, you know, when you put the last bit of the jigsaw puzzle in and you're like, oh. So I'm looking forward <laughs> to that, to making that sound. <laughs> so, yeah. What about you, Katrina? Um. Well, I suppose with my feminist head on, I'm really looking forward to just raise Shetland women and highlight their creative work contemporary wise, but also, you know, really to highlight Jenny's work. She's a phenomenal artist and creative. And, you know, people like Shona Main, who've just done a PhD on her ethical filmmaking. I mean, we cannot say enough. I think there will be more things that will come out about Jenny and she will be you know, uh, elevated further. So, I mean, thanks to Hipfest for, for picking this film. You know, it's really timely and um, I think it's going to be a good night. Oh, thank you both so, so much. And it's worth noting as well, um, I might cut this because it all depends on timelines, uh, but we will be having a an online presentation uh, from Shona about Jenny Gilbertson. Uh oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, to go to go alongside our kind of February is our Jenny Gilbertson month. <laughs> it's Shona and Sarah Neely both talking about her work more more broadly. Oh, so brilliant. that'll be yeah. It's such a privilege to be able to yeah bring her work to more people. Thank you so so much for everything that you've that you've shared today. I could not be more excited about this this screening and getting to see it live. And yeah, we will see you in March. Brilliant. Thank you so much for having mm -hmm. us. Listen out for more episodes, like and subscribe wherever you are listening. We would love it if you would rate and review this podcast to help us reach a bigger and broader audience. Final request, 
Hipfest needs help and you might be our missing link. We rely on grants and sponsorship for more than 80% of Hipfest costs to bring you great films with live music and much more. Could you or someone you know benefit from a sponsorship slot in this very podcast? If so, then please get in touch by emailing hipfest at folkirk.gov.uk. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much.